Hey, welcome to the Let's Talk Math podcast. Today, we will talk about maps. But first, let's hear a joke. Why do points hate being babysat by the continuous function? Because she doesn't allow them to play outside of their neighborhood. Alright, let's move on to maps now. Maps have many different names. We call them mappings, we call them functions, we call them morphisms, transformations, and they have other names as well. But right now, we will define what a map function, whatever you want to call it, is. So now, in set theory, the most abstract definition I know is where you define a map according to a set of correspondences between certain things. Now, let's try to stick to the definition of a map being a function in which one element maps to only one element meaning that the map cannot map one thing to two things. Remember in high school, you learned the vertical line test in which if the if your vertical line on a graph has two intersections, then the, the thing you're looking at is not a function. In a bit, we'll get into what graphing a function really means. A few weeks ago, I was walking to class and I started thinking about why does a map, the one that we use for geo geographical purposes, why is it also called a map? And I started to think, what kind of relationships can we see between maps and, you know, geographical maps? And I realized that if you think of a map, a geographical map, as a set of locations, you know, there's Ecuador and all the cities in Ecuador, and of course, this depends on the resolution of your map. But if you think of your map as a set of locations, then you can think of the paths between these locations on the map as correspondences then you can define maps according to these correspondences. Now, the number of maps you can define on your geographical map depends on the resolution of your map. You know, because the number of correspondences you can make between locations depends on the number of locations your map, you know, defines, it has. Now, what does a map of a geographical map actually look like? Well, we can consider the identity map. If you recall the identity map and the real numbers is like X, you know, you map anything to itself, any number in the real numbers to itself. Now we could consider that map in our situation. In our situation, that map would map every location on the map to itself. Now this map doesn't really have any practical meaning to us in everyday life, you know, like GPS or whatever. But if you consider the set of all maps that could be defined on our geographical map, now you can start to think about maps are a bit more applicable to you know everyday life for example it is quite obvious that any set of paths that google maps can create for you from a geographical map is a subset of all the maps that you can define on this geographical map for example consider um say a trip from washington dc to puerto rico now google maps can give you a path and this path will be an optimization, you know, it'll be the shortest path you can take in the least amount of time. So now consider any map in our set of maps that maps from Washington, D.C. to Puerto Rico. Of course, in this case, we're, con we're assuming that our geographical map is the whole globe, let's say. Now, Washington, D.C. can be mapped to, say, um, Afghanistan and then to Puerto Rico, or Washington, D.C. can be mapped from Washington, D.C. 
to 15 other places and then to Puerto Rico or even 15 other places, then back to D.C., then back to 15 other places, then back to Puerto Rico. Now, this gives you a little bit of insight onto properties of maps. Now, I want to clarify that when I say that you can map D.C. to 15 other places, I don't mean simultaneously map to 15 other places. I mean map to one place, then another place, then another place, then another place, and do this 15 times, and that defines one map. That can define one map. Now, in our situation, in which you map from D.C. to Puerto Rico, locations that are not being mapped to should remain in the same place. You know, they should be mapped to themselves. That way, because in practical situations, you don't have, you don't have simultaneous existence somewhere else. In our analogy of the maps that we can define on a geographical map, we, we have already talked about some pretty cool concepts about maps. For example, we have talked about composition of maps. When we considered mapping DC to two other, other locations before Puerto Rico, now we can see this map as a composition of maps. So we can say we map DC to say Afghanistan, and then from Afghanistan to um, say Kentucky, and then Kentucky to Puerto Rico. Now we can see one map defining DC to Afghanistan, another map defining Afghanistan to Kentucky, and then another map defining Kentucky to Puerto Rico. And if we apply them one after another one and in, uh, in the correct order, you know, compose them, then we can define one map which maps DC to Puerto Rico. Now this operation on maps called composition is only one of many composition laws, you know. Um, we can consider addition of maps, subtraction of maps. Of, cor of course, this depends on what set we're working on. We can't, we can't really, it's, it'll be hard to think of a way to define subtraction or addition on um, maps that define, you know, paths between locations on a map. However, if we consider, say, uh, the transformations or matrices, now we can start to define, you know, subtraction, addition, and even multiplication and, and other composition laws more that are that can be a little bit more complicated now what properties can composition laws have now uh, composition laws can be uh, you know commutative associative distributive and this all depends on one the set that you're working with and two the way you define your map now these composition laws they can be really really cool and they can really give life to a set like, for example, the real numbers. Now, a composition law would be addition, subtraction, division, multiplication. You know, the, those are all, those are, you can consider them as composition laws. Of course, uh, multiplication and division, they're about the same thing. And, you know, subtraction and addition, they're about, they're practically the same thing. Now, imagine the real numbers or the rational numbers or any, any set you want to think of without a composition law on that. That's where it starts to become, of course, the set can have, you know, really interesting properties. Like, you can consider the combinatorics of a set, you know, uh, how many elements does it have. But the composition laws that you can define on sets, those are what, what sometimes, usually, like, really gives life to a set. Consider the composition law of convolution. Say, uh, the convolution is, is really important in analysis and Fourier analysis. But of course, it has applications to representation theory, to a lot of really cool stuff.
but imagine imagine not having the convolution even simply imagine not having addition or you know subtraction <laughs> that'd be pretty crazy now, you may know that a composition law itself you know like addition multiplication those are also maps you can define them according to maps you say like addition you map two elements to their sum now like i said whatever we define this sum to be that depends on our set but here we're starting to see a really cool notion about math we're starting to see one that we can describe a lot of things as maps but more importantly remember how i defined a map i defined a map as a set of correspondences now if you know a little bit about set theory now you by now you're starting to get the hang of what i'm trying to say is that Pretty much all the things we know about math can be described by sets. And this is exactly what set theory talks about, you know? Set theory defines a new way to describe math. However, let's get back to maps. Now, there are different classes of maps. You know, you have injective maps, which are one-to-one. -one. Maybe you recall what one-to-one -one means. One-to-one -one means that every element that your map maps to is only mapped to by one element. For example, uh, say you have a map that maps all real numbers to the number one that's not an injective map however if we consider a map between the real numbers to the real numbers uh, that maps say every element in the real numbers to one plus that element now we define an injective function since every map every element sorry is mapped to from a single element in the real numbers now if this isn't obvious to you maybe consider the same map but this time in between the integers and the integers. This might shed light a little bit on why this particular map that I mentioned is an injective. Now, there are also surjective maps. If you consider two sets, A and B, and you have a map from A to B, that is a function, you know, is defined properly, and this function maps at least one element to every element in B, in the set B, then this, this map is surjective. There are also bijective maps, which are maps that are both injective and bijective. So if you have a map from a set A to a set B, then every element in B is mapped to from only one element in A. Functions that are bijective, injective, or surjective have really cool properties, and they reveal very interesting properties about the sets they map to and from. For example, if there exists a bijection between two sets that are countable, then that means that the two sets have the same cardinality. And cardinality means the number of elements in a set for countable sets. If you have an injection between two sets, say A and B, then that means that the cardinality of B is greater than or equal to the cardinality of A. You can try proving this to yourself. It's not too complicated. Lastly, if you have a surjection between two sets, A and B, then that means that the cardinality of A is greater than or equal to the cardinality of B. Now we can get a little bit more abstract than this. We consider all the bijective maps between two sets, and this makes a set. And then we can talk about the properties of this set. We could also think about all the injective maps between two sets, and then think about the properties of this set. And we can think about all the surjective functions between two sets, and then talk about the properties of this set. And these types of sets are really important in abstract algebra when talking about groups, rings, modules, fields, and things in structures similar to them. In fact, there's a type of bijective function called an isomorphism, which is a little bit more complicated. It involves 
more properties about the function. And in sets like field theory and ring theory, we think about, you know, the, the isomorphisms between rings and the isomorphisms between fields. And we think about the properties of these, of these sets. These sets can often even be rings themselves. And um, these, these things are really cool. You, should, you can look into them. But as you can see, there's a whole other world to these, th these types of maps, to isomorphisms, um, epimorphisms, homomorphisms. You can look these up if you want to. But these, these are really cool areas of math. And there's areas of math that simply focus on these types of maps. A reason to focus on, you know, the classes of maps and the properties they have is because they oft these maps will often help you prove really difficult theorems. For example, you can prove, for example, you can prove that the rational numbers are infinitely countable by devising a, an injective map between the natural numbers and the rational numbers. In fact, you can look into Cantor's diagonalization if you want to look into this. In group theory, field theory, and ring theory, it's really cool to find that two algebraic structures have an isomorphism between them because that reveals that in a sense the two algebraic structures are about the same thing and these types of concepts give rise to things like representation theory in representation theory you think of algebraic structures like groups as subsets of the general linear group or you can also think about this as meaning that there exists an isomorphism between a subset of the general linear group and a group meaning that there's a subset of invertible matrices that is isomorphic to a group there are so many different types of maps for example there are maps that preserve distance in topology you can think of rotations rotations of sets rotations of shapes reflections there are so many different types of transformations you can look into groups like the euclidean group the orthogonal group the symmetric group a lot of these groups that reflect really cool properties of rigid transformations. Even translations. If you're interested in how these symmetries can be applied to physics, you can look into Nether's theorems. In fact, Nether had a lot of really cool theorems in field theory. If you've never heard of the Nether, I would really recommend looking her up. She's one of the founders of Abstract Algebra, and she's probably my favorite algebraist. If you want to know a little bit about her math, you can look up her isomorphism theorems. Note, if you're really serious about math, you really need to know these theorems. Now, if you're more into topology, complex analysis, real analysis, you can look into diffeomorphisms. You can look into holomorphic functions. You can look into continuous functions, differentiable functions, analytic functions. Analytic functions are one of those functions that you really need to focus on because analytic functions were pivotal for the development of areas like complex analysis. In fact, a lot of complex analysis theorems that you'll learn in undergrad are pretty much all based on analytic functions. In fact, even the integrals of map, you input a function and the endpoints you're trying to integrate over or the area you're trying to integrate over and it outputs a real number. You have probably also heard of projections for example, you can consider the projection of a square to its shadow, any shadow that the square can make under a light source. And maps that define projections are really important for fields like topology, where you care about finding universal properties of shapes or subsets of Rn, Qn, Cn, or other crazy fields like piadic fields.
one of my favorite maps is the successor map the successor map is pivotal for the construction of the natural numbers in set theory essentially the successor map is an injection and a recursive function which maps a set to the power set of the power set of that set and when you input a set it inputs a set containing the set you inputted and the set of the set you inputted if you're interested in knowing how this plays a role into the construction of the natural numbers, I would recommend looking up basic set theory and looking up the construction of the natural numbers online. And while you're at it, you should probably also look up the Zermelo-Franco axioms, and we might cover some of these things in the podcast later in the future. Set theory is one of those fields that I hold very dear to my heart, and it's one of those fields that you should really have an understanding in. And this leads to our last topic, what does it mean to graph a function? At the end of the day, a graph of a function is a set. Recall that a function is a set of correspondences, and a graph now can be seen as the Cartesian cross product of your domain set or your pre-image and your image. A basic representation of this is the xy plane in Cartesian coordinates. Recall that the xy plane in Cartesian coordinates is R2 or the Cartesian product of r cross r the real numbers cross the real numbers and what you see when you plot a function are those points or cartesian product coordinates that we plot where in the xy plane are xy and x is in the real numbers and y is also in the real numbers however x doesn't only have to be in the real numbers it can be in a subset of the real numbers and y can also be on the subset of the real numbers or the complex plane or whatever you want now, to summarize, a graph is a set of coordinates or points that describe how two sets are related according to a function. If you want to see this in full rigor, I recommend looking up things like the Zermelo-Franco axioms again, and they describe a little bit more about what it really means to be a correspondence and a set of correspondences. All right, well, we can talk about functions for years. In fact, mathematicians have talked about functions for centuries. But we will end this episode here. Remember to follow the podcast on Instagram at, at the LTM Podcast. And if you have any suggestions or emails or questions for me, you can reach me to the LTM Podcast at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you learned a lot. This was the LTM Podcast. Deuces.